Randy, you know something about hip hop, don't you? I should, Willie. Uh, before I did product stuff, I was a music journalist and editor, but that was a long time ago. But I was Amazon's first ever editor for hip hop and children's music. That's an odd combination, but there is a reason I'm bringing it up. I'm curious to see where this is going. Does it by any chance have something to do with Mark Abraham? Why, yes, it does. <laughs> you might know him as the guy who coordinates Product Tank all across the world, or as the author of my product management toolkit, or as a product leader and keynote speaker. He sure sounds busy. Yes, but he also did a great talk on the lessons he's learned from Jay-Z and why he'd make a great product manager. Okay, so that's something I definitely never covered in my old job. I've really got to hear this, so let's cut straight to it this week. The product experience is part of the Mind the Product Network. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we improve our practice. Aside from conferences in London, San Francisco, Singapore, Hamburg, and Manchester, there's also free product tanks in more than 185 cities, and there's probably one near you. Find out about them on mindtheproduct.com, where you can also catch up on past episodes, videos from the conferences, read great articles, and learn about the training that we do. Mark, it is such a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Really excited. Ah, and a few people might recognise your dulcet tones from the end of the podcast where you chat about my product. But for those of you that haven't heard of you or don't know who you are, could you give us a really quick intro into who Mark Abraham is? So really quickly, I'm a product manager. I've been in product for about eight, nine years now, currently acting as a product area lead or head of product at ASOS, uh, an e-commerce site headquartered in the UK, but operating globally. And as you said, in my spare time, I'm also involved with Mind the Product, particularly on Product Tank, where I'm the global Product Tank coordinator. Great title, love that title. Uh, But I'm also involved with the conferences, helping to curate the speakers. Awesome. So tell us a bit about what you do at ASOS. So are you leading like a big team of product people or um, how's it, how does that work? Yeah, it's interesting. So I joined ASOS uh, about seven, eight months ago, initially as a practice lead for product ownership. So really helping the product people there to, to establish a few best practices mm-hmm. uh, around product management and only two months ago, they evolved into a slightly new role, which is more of a traditional head of product role, where, as you say, having a number of product um, owners in my team focusing on a specific area, which is engagement. So think about things like lifecycle marketing, offering dynamic content and personalized content to customers. Those kind of product areas are now under my remit, so to speak. Mm, cool. Really interesting. It must be... Uh, kind of interesting and challenging to work in a product that is so well established that you can't I guess you can't change it that often because people get a bit upset yeah I think I think there, there there's definitely that but you know I, I'd like to look at the bright side in a sense that you know it's amazing to work at scale you learn very quickly because you're working at scales so from an <laughs> experimentation point of view but yes obviously um you have to be a bit more careful to, you know, from a reputational risk or user experience risk because it's such a well-known and, you know, well-used product. 
And so a while ago, you did a talk about Jay-Z being a product manager and how he'd make a good product person. So tell us a bit about how that topic came up. It's, 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 it does sound quite random the way you present, if you present it like that, <laughs> but it, it's not as random as you think it is because I've been into hip hop probably since I was uh, 13 years old, one, three. I'm a bit older now, it's fair to say, and um, I listen still to a lot of hip hop. I have to be a bit smarter these days with my kids because uh, a lot of the lyrics, as you can imagine, are explicit. But when I do listen, I listen to both the old school Jay-Z and, and obviously stuff that the kids uh, listen to these days. But it made me think, you know, I can't remember even what triggered it, but I was thinking about Jay-Z and Nas and not even just thinking about their music achievements, but also their business ventures. And I thought, you know, look at this Jay-Z. You know, he's done all these kind of great things. He's got all these really amazing attributes that actually would make him a great product person. Um, and in that talk that you mentioned, which I've done a few times now, I talk about the 10 traits that make Jay-Z a great product person uh, in my mind. So for instance, the fact that he's very entrepreneurial, he's curious, he's always looking for new trends, trying to engage with customers, trying to understand customer problems. Um, he's not afraid um, to to experiment, to try and learn. And also, last but not least, I would be amiss if I wouldn't talk about his ability to, to look for problems because he's got 99 of them <laughs> and he will try to solve them. Are they, is that a backlog? It could be a backlog, right? <laughs> Seriously. Some places I know that 99 items in the backlog still are pretty slim backlogs. <laughs> but on a, on, a, on, a, on a more serious note, I use this talk, obviously, to, to really talk about what I believe makes a, a strong product person um, and, and you know, being able to focus on problems and trying to solve the problems, really understand problems is, is a key trait of being a good product manager, in my opinion. So... Is this Jay-Z in particular, or is this any successful artist? (laughs) Perhaps you can apply it to other successful artists. I mentioned Nas, uh, who's also a rapper from that same era. uh, For those of your listeners who are really into hip-hop, they know that Nas and Jay-Z beefed for quite a while. But let's not go into that, because I know that's not the topic of this podcast. (laughs) It, I do focus very much on Jay-Z and a lot of the examples that I use are Jay-Z specific. So when I talk about Jay-Z being a good product person because he's such a good collaborator, I talk about some of the collaborations that he's had over the years with the likes of Linkin Park to Rihanna to Alicia Keys, very specific Jay-Z examples uh, that I refer to. I'm curious about that one, Mark. So Jay-Z, uh, he's a good collaborator with other artists, but he's mostly known as a solo artist, not part of a, a crew. He doesn't have a dedicated DJ or producer that he works with. He's worked with a lot of different people. And I've always wondered, if is it a product team more like, oh, Jurassic 5 or De La Soul or something like that, or even uh, something like Gangstar, where you've got those two guys who were so well-known as producer and DJ as potentially saying UX and product, or is, is Jay-Z the CEO of the, of the thing, or is he the product manager? I'm a little, how does it work? 
Yeah, I think you can't place Jay-Z as, as you say, you know, being part of the Wu-Tang Clan and he's part of yeah, a collective where, you know, super cognitive, diverse, everyone brings their unique skills and views to the table. He is more, he, you, I think you're right, Randy, he is more like the CEO of the product, if that even exists. Because from a, you know, from a pure personality point of view, he's best placed in that CEO role. But I think it's also partly deliberate where he is part of teams and he is part of joint ventures, but he's very selective of who he works with. In my talk, I uh, refer to the, the um, long friendship that he used to have with either Damon Dash, if mm-hmm. some of your listeners are familiar uh, with him, who was his friend and erstwhile business partner, but they had a fallout after 10 years or so, and they, they split ways. Same with Kanye West, which is obviously not necessarily a business relationship per se, but more of a music-oriented relationship. Again, that went, worked really well, did an album together, toured together, had a fallout. I think rather than being part of one squad, if you want to apply the product management um, analogy, Jay-Z strikes me more as a person who will just dip in and out, basically work more in specific projects around a particular product around a particular service with the people that he really trusts and selects for that very specific purpose. So this interview is going to be a bit of a struggle for me because I'm <laughs> not a massive hip hop fan. I, you know, I, I listen here and there, but uh, I don't know the ins and outs of the entire hip hop world and, and culture. And Such a square. So... <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but you are missing out. <laughs> is what I'm saying. You might have to, Bring it on in with a bit of basic stuff here for me, for my benefit. Okay, so you mentioned there Kanye West and Jay-Z. So, and and you kind of talk about stakeholder management and reference Kanye. So in what way did Jay-Z use his product-like skills to manage his Kanye West stakeholder in the So, so, so the good thing is that for this particular um, friendship and the eventual breakup of that friendship, you don't need to be a hip hop fan because this is human nature 101. They were good friends. They collaborated on, on, on a number of, like I said, musical projects. Um, but then Kanye West started behaving erratically. So I don't know. Remember, I think it was the Grammys uh, a good number of years ago when Taylor Swift got uh, a Grammy Award and, you know, in all his wisdom, Kanye decided to go on stage and try to snatch the trophy out of her hands and the audio award out of her hands. And, and that's where it started, basically. And I think when you talk about product management skills that Jay-Z applied, I would almost argue that they were the kind of soft product management skills, not the hard ones, um, really trying to be empathetic towards Kanye, giving him a few chances. Because he could have easily said after that incident with Taylor Swift and Beyonce, like, this is it. This is, you embarrassed me, you embarrassed my wife. She doesn't need that, all the rest of it. But he kept on trying. And then obviously Kanye got involved with Trump and they had a, I think Kanye did a 17, minute rant at one of his concerts about Jay-Z. Again, I'm just giving you these examples. <laughs> this is pure human behavior. I'm not saying... It does not sound like good stakeholder management. <laughs> it doesn't, right? <laughs> but what Jay-Z would do is just... 
he still listened and he tried to understand, not focus so much on Kanye, the person, but where's that behavior coming from? You know, trying to be mm. empathetic, understanding that Kanye loves uh, his mother, who is very close to quite suddenly a good few years ago, went through a lot of personal turmoil. So gave him a chance, tried to understand where Kanye was coming from. And on that basis, trying to have a conversation, trying to give him another chance and yet another chance up to the point that, you know, Jay-Z thought this is enough. But where, you, where I draw the parallel with good stakeholder management is that ability to listen and trying to empathize and trying to, you know, split the person and their behavior and really focus on the problem or the behavior, yeah. not on the person. Yeah, that makes sense. You also talked a, a bit about, uh, I think you talked earlier about how Jay-Z is really good at listening to his customers and doing research. And I think uh, you used an example in your talk about how he iterates a lot using the, the blueprint as an example. Can you talk us through that one? Yeah. So so again, Blueprint, and this is especially for Lily, uh, Blueprint <laughs> is an album. Uh, and so oh. far, Jay-Z has released three versions of that album in a span of probably 10, 15 years. Um, but you can see, and I, and, and I use that, you know, we listen to snippets as part of the talk, how, how his musical taste has evolved and really evolved with the times. And you can tell that he's been listening, probably talking to people, understanding what their musical tastes are, because he starts very much. And again, I won't get into all the hip hop geekery and too technical about it, but it starts very kind of old school boom bap kind of lyrics you know, sparse beats, and then it gets very mainstream, you know, lots of pop and popular music influences towards the end. But you can see very clearly he's been adapting, he's been evolving, going along with the times. Whereas if you could compare and contrast to some of that, some other artists from the era, clearly haven't evolved, you know, it doesn't make them bad artists, but maybe less popular among a, a wider audience because they haven't adapted and haven't adjusted to changes, changing musical tastes. He's maybe been growing his commercial acumen and doing a bit of growth hacking. I like the growth hacking, basically. I, I just like to focus on, on listening and on, on customer research. In the talk, I, for instance, do talk about how Jay-Z, I can imagine, because I've never been invited to one of those, does pro problem interviews where he doesn't necessarily talk about the solution because he doesn't know how the next uh, edition of Blueprint is going to sound. That's the creativity part. But first, he'll spend time understanding customers, understanding their tastes, understanding their needs before he does anything else. And you talked earlier about um, some of the collaborations that he, he's done and that he does collaborate a lot with other artists um, and how he maybe needs to like or, or just naturally ends up influencing other artists. And in your talk, you kind of mention the currencies that we can use to influence people. Now, I hadn't heard this before, so I was I was really interested in this. So tell us about how we can use different currencies to influence people. Yeah, so the whole idea of currencies comes from the idea of influencing without authority, particularly where you can't just say to someone, you do this because I'm your boss or I'm telling you, so I'm going to fire you if you don't, right? And that's a position that we as product people often find ourselves in where we have to work with a lot of people, take them on a journey without having any sense of authority over them. So what you can start using are these kind of currencies and you can exchange those currencies. And the currency could be something that 
the other person cares about and something that you care about. And it's almost like start trading currency. So to give you an example, there's a there's this great book, which is called Influence Without Authority by Cohen and Bradford. And they, it's a really great book that I learned a lot from because it talks about the different categories of currency. So you've got, for instance, inspirational currencies, right? I'm sure you've worked with people who really care about hearing about the vision, uh, about excellence that we're trying to achieve with our product or with our team. And that really motivates those people, makes them tick. Whereas equally, I've worked with people who couldn't care less about the overarching product vision, but they're much more task-oriented. So tasks and, and getting a task complete completed is a currency that you can use. Anything you can do to help them to get something over the line, to complete the task, that makes them tick. Equally, just to give you another example, and there's quite a few of these, some people care about kind of status as a currency, right? Where they like recognition or, you know, they want to look good in front of their superiors, right? So anything you can do, as long as you do it in a genuine way, obviously, to make them look good and to give them that public recognition will work in that relationship because it's something that they care about. And so it's really useful, going back to your earlier questions about stakeholder management, to understand what makes the other person or persons that you're working with tick and what are your own currencies because then you can actually start trading those currencies and building relationships on the back of them. So one of the other things you talk about is um, almost a, a business analysis quality about how he assesses risk and how he figures out what to do next. And one of the, I think one of the examples you talked about is how to pick which shoe brand to work with, which, you know, He's not an athlete. He is a rapper, but it is strangely, it is the, the association with the right brand is incredibly important. So how do you make that assessment? How, what's the parallel to, to product management? Randy, can I say you sound like you're, you're, you're someone who's never had to make that call. <laughs> I've never had shoes. No, I'm more of a, I'm more of a bourbon uh, person. <laughs> Joking aside, I, you know, Obviously, you know, whether it's a shoe brand or clothing brand, when you've got lots of options, which Jay-Z had at the time, you know, there's obviously lots of brands that were interested in working with him. He could have just created his own shoe uh, line. And to assess his options, he applied this kind of prioritization method, which is called RICE. Uh, so I'm not talking about what you can eat, but you write it exactly the same way. And it stands for Reach Impact confidence and effort. And it's a really nice, fairly, I'm not saying it's super scientific, but nice objective way of start looking at the different opportunities. Because you can say, well, if I go with shoe manufacturer A, I expect the reach of customers to be 500,000 because they operate in just one region. Whereas if I go with shoe manufacturer B, I expect the reach to be a million because they operate in two regions. Right. I can start thinking about the impact and particularly thinking about the impact on the KPI. I think it's fair to assume that Jay-Z, when he had to make those tough trade-off calls, he had one KPI that he was particularly interested in, which you can only imagine what that was, right? Revenue and profits yeah. on the back of it, right? But you can start putting in the numbers and you get a score ultimately, also if you take into account the confidence 
of your estimates and the effort required, so typically person months. So you start looking in a more objective way of the different kind of options that are on the table. And I think particularly what I like about um, this RICE model, and I know Jay-Z does too, is highlighting the confidence that you have in your estimates. Because we often find when we work with product teams that we all come up with estimates, but we don't necessarily... Uh, think critically about the um, the confidence that we have in those estimates, right? Because we're all pressured or we feel a pressure to say, well, it's going to be two days or three months or just any number, right? Or any kind of indication, T-shirt size, whatever it is that you use. But really mm-hmm. saying, actually, I gave you that estimate with 20% confidence because I've never used this technology, haven't spoken to the customers yet, haven't assessed the commercial viability. So it's only 20%. That bit we don't necessarily look at whereas this rice uh, prioritization model does take that into account so you, i'm sorry you're saying that he uses the rice model is that something that you know he uses explicitly or something intuitively that uh as he talked <laughs> i'm just curious has he talked about using this model or is this just one that you would see the parallel i can see the parallel it'd be so <laughs> can you imagine just like he starts endorsing shoes, he starts endorsing the rise prioritization. I was just going to say, I, I missed whatever B-side it was where he was rapping about that. Can you imagine when that happens, what that will do for product management as a product, right? Um, yes. Yeah, I did like your talk. I was a bit, it, like during the talk, I was a bit confused about whether you'd had a conversation with Jay-Z and asked him all of these questions and gone, Jay-Z would do this in this situation. And uh, Jay-Z and I talk product management all the time. <laughs> okay, so so given all that, he actually has, uh, aside from his career and his, his music and uh, working with a, a sports team and things like that, he actually has taken responsibility and launched a product. Uh, and it's the, the music streaming service title. So how do you see that? How would you rate that as a product? And where do you see the parallels between what he's done there and, and what good product management looks like? So... I see that as the epitome of taking risks Um, because for me, that feels like a very bold move. When you come up with a streaming service, it would have been much more obvious to just stay with Spotify or go for any of the other established companies uh, that were already doing it rather than just trying to enter this saturated market. But what he's done is really trying to, carve out his own niche, really look at points of differentiation and content is one, you know, whether you agree with it or not, but he's clearly said, you know, my content is going to be one channel. No one else is going to have that. So if you want to have that content, go to my channel and that's going to be one of the differentiation uh, points of differentiation. Um, But what I like about it and, and not just with Tidal, but some of the other things that he's done is, you know, much more of an experimental approach. And in the talk, I also refer not just Tidal and how that's come about, but some of the other things that didn't work out so well, like, um, I think he wanted to have his own car named after him. That didn't really fly his own soda brand. He tried, didn't really work. And for me, again, that's a hallmark of a strong product person where you will try and learn as quickly as you can and then make a call whether you iterate on it or kill the product or service. And you talk about Jay-Z being um, a good PM because he'll take on more responsibility and, and kind of sort of stick his neck out when he needs to. So I thought this was an interesting sort of take on what makes a good product manager. Um, 
do you have that in every member of your team maybe like in previous team members as well and if they don't have that does that mean that they're a bad product manager or no it doesn't make you a bad product manager by any means uh but unfortunately being a product person can be quite lonely and and part of the reason for that is that you're the only person sticking their neck out or forced to stick their neck out um and you're right in the middle. If you don't necessarily have done that before, that's that's you know doesn't make you um, a bad product person. Having said that, I do think it's important that you learn or you, you develop some confidence to be able to stick your neck out and say, "I'm not going to wait for um, permission. I'll I'll ask for forgiveness and worry about the permission later." Or, "Yes, I'm taking a risk, but I've done my research. I've got some data." And I'm taking an informed decision because, you know, everyone is looking at me to make that call, right? So what I do on a day-to-day basis is try to work with people um, to give them that confidence and to create an environment of, call it psychological safety, call it an environment where it's okay to, to, to try and learn and not always get it right, or even to hold your hands up and say, I don't know, but let's figure it out. And I totally appreciate if you don't necessarily have that quality, Absolutely fine. I also appreciate that sticking your neck out, like I said, can make you feel lonely and anxious at times, and that's totally understandable. But my hope is that if you do find yourself in that kind of environment or feeling that way, they have people around you who can work with you to give you the confidence to, to you know, to be more proactive, to be more on the front foot, and to also accept it when things don't go to plan or you make a call that doesn't turn out the way you hoped. So. Uh- Jay-Z is not the only artist who's tried to launch a music product, a music streaming product or, or a physical product. You've got uh, Peter Gabriel launched a service. Uh, Neil Young had a service. Prince tried to do it at one point. And then if you, and none of them were particularly successful. I mean, Peter Gabriel to a certain degree, but none on the scale of Jay-Z. Um, at the same time, you've also got somebody like Donald Trump who's launched a ton of businesses that were, did not succeed and some that succeeded um, depending on whether you believe him or not is more bluster than, than truth. Um, But so, but we're talking about Jay-Z as a success and a good model and some of these other people potentially not as a good model. Why is he good at this? Why is he a good model for product people versus these, these other people? Persistence, longevity. So, if you think about, you know, you mentioned some examples and I can't go through all of them and I'm not trying to even refute them. But if you look at uh, Neil Young and his P- Pono service, I love the name and I was involved. Actually, I worked for a music streaming company here in London where we were partnering with, with Pono and Neil Young at the time. But it never really got anywhere. It didn't, you know, for whatever reason. And that's, and we never heard about any kind of, a non-music venture from Neil Young ever again. Whereas if I look at Jay-Z and I gave some examples earlier, he's tried a few things. A lot of things worked out. Other things didn't, but he's still doing them. He's still taking risks. You know, we all know about his recent partnership with the NFL, which was hugely controversial because of race related issues previously, right? He's doing it. Whatever you think of that, agree, disagree, good, bad. He keeps trying. He keeps learning, keeps experimenting. He will take losses as much as he will celebrate successes. And that, for me, 
is a strong per, uh, product person because you know we all know that yes there will be successes but a lot of the times things won't go according to plan and coming back to that point that I tried to make earlier about resilience and trying to you know keep sticking your neck out learning how to do so that is really hard especially when the chips are down and everything around you feels like it's coming apart or things are not coming to plan but good product people will keep at it and they will keep going as hard as it sometimes is because it as we all know it can be really frustrating to be a product person at times yeah for sure and i guess in that example maybe he just knew that it was the right timing um and all of the others came at a time where streaming you know people didn't really get it and they didn't have the business model right potentially yeah yeah potentially you, you know you can spend a lot of time um kind of over analyzing in retrospect is, is is you know hindsight is a fantastic kind of asset in, in this kind of context i think he he just did it he did it he knew about the risks you know at the timing of tidal you could argue was trickier than it was when rdo tried to launch or when neil young tried to launch um pono because there were fewer competitors out there at the time right whereas now everything can be streamed and some really really big companies doing it so you could look at the flip side of that i think one thing is 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 a lot of Jay-Z is about intuition and I'm sure he's got some pretty decent advisors helping him but I definitely believe in a sense of you know you call it timing I call it intuition and just trying to go for it and trying to you know move sensibly within that I'd I'd go into uh jobs to be done theory about each of these services and trying to figure out what is the problem that they're actually solving or were they solving it for the the founder or artist or for a wider group of people but I think that's a whole different podcast and we'd spend a long time on that. <laughs> Maybe we'll grab a drink and have that one sometime but Yeah, no there's there's definitely lots of different ways. It's a bit like a blueprint, you know, 1 2 and 3 and he's definitely this is number 3. But joking aside, I think he really gets the type guys and he will like i said before he will really evolve he will adapt and he will come up with new things because uh, he's always open minded he's always looking for the next opportunity being in business or being in music so you've talked quite a bit about how he's you know he's a risk taker he's quite experimental and you know that part of product management is really important to be able to explore and experiment in different ways how do you encourage that within your teams? How do you ensure that they're bringing this side of themselves out into their role? Yeah, so I think the first thing I, I try to encourage people to do is that say that it's safe to not know the answers and it's okay to be uncertain about what you're trying to learn or what you're trying to do. And that's, I don't know if you agree, but for a lot of people that actually feels counterintuitive because a lot of the environments that we work in encourage us to have all the answers or have certainty or have established risk. And, you know, a lot of the things that we do as product people, as much as we'd like it to be certain, there isn't that, there is the ambiguity. So coming back to your question earlier about people not being okay with sticking their neck out as someone who's working closely with product managers, the product owners, I really try to say it's okay, right? Yes. It's okay to not know the answer. It's okay to deal with uh, uncertainty. It's okay to say, well, let's try and we'll find out. What I will then 
make sure is that the product person in question thinks about how can I learn that or how can I work through that ambiguity as, as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So I don't try to see, you know, ambiguity and, and, and working through uncertainty as just a carte blanche to just try whatever and just, you know, analysis paralysis and all the rest of it, but at least create the conditions for product people to, within a set of constraints or a specific time period, they can work through those uncertainties and they learn and they test their assumptions and give them that confidence and, and, and create the space to do so. So, Mark, somehow between all the time you've got with a full-time job, with a family and kids, uh, and with doing all the work you do with Mind the Product and Product Tank, you've also written one book and you've got another on the way. So tell us a little bit about the books. Yeah, so my first book uh, came out uh, in 2018, which was actually started very much as a blog post, which was, and the book is called My Product Management Toolkit. And like I said, this came up on the back of a number of blog posts where very much focused on tools and they were actually called my product management toolkit. And I focused in those posts on very tactical, very practical kind of tools and techniques that people could use uh, to tackle common product management problems that people said, you know, we really like these posts. We find them really useful. Why don't you collate them into a book? And I was like me writing a book seriously and then, you know, as I kept getting that feedback, I thought, you know what, might as well give it a go. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I can only say that I've been amazed since it's come out. It's done really well, um, not only just in, in terms of numbers, but also the number of people that come to me and say, this has been really helpful. I'm always quite new to product management or I still use it as a, as a bit of a reference if I get into certain situations. So that was book number one. And as you say, I'm, I'm working on book book number two, which hopefully will come out um, later this year, which is very much focused on something that we touched on even as part of this conversation, which is the tensions and the frustrations involved in managing products and working with people um, and how, how to deal with those. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's my second book. Very different book, very different angle compared to the first one, but I'm very excited about it. You know, again, it's made me reflect a lot more on the nature of what we do as product people. Um, and obviously the people I'm interviewing for the book, they all come up with their own stories of the challenges that they're facing, whether it comes to managing stakeholders, whether it's, like we said before, working through ambiguity and dealing with uncertainty. So those are all kinds of topics that I'm looking to, to cover in my next book. Can we expect more references to Jay-Z in there or... <laughs> uh, well, you should always expect a reference to, you know, hip hop of <laughs> some sort, definitely. Awesome. I look forward to it. So, Mark, you said in your talk that there's some academic research that you've looked into uh, about how freestyling actually uh, helps unlock part of your brain and some of your creativity. So, are we going to get a chance to have you drop some, some verses on us now? I wish, I, I wish, but you know, seriously, you would lose listeners and everything, right? And the podcast, podcasts have been doing so well, so I wouldn't wish that on anyone. We'll see what we can get out of you next time. I actually have been taught to freestyle rap. Really? Where did you learn yeah. that? I got taught by a guy called Testament um, in the UK. It was about a year and a half ago. I'm going to try and do some now. Okay, this okay is go for it. Okay. Hit it. Hey, yo, yo, you know I'm here on the mic. 
Oh, I had a really good line and now I've forgotten it. But on that note, can can we add something? Uh, and you can always see if you want to cut it or not afterwards. But there's one thing, because, you know, joking aside about the research and I love the freestyle, which is about creativity. And I talk in the talk, in, in my presentation about Jay-Z, about cr creativity to me being about creating things from scratch or doing things that haven't been done before. And the reason why... I highlight that as part of the presentation, not only because Jay-Z does a lot of that and freestyling, as Randy said, using that part of the brain that you otherwise wouldn't use because you're thinking on the spot, you're making things up as you go, which is a really remarkable skill in my opinion. But I'm also including that in the presentation to encourage us as product people to sometimes be more creative and think about what can I create from scratch and not be afraid to start from a blank canvas and mm. just try and try things. And again, sometimes I feel that that gets forgotten a bit uh, because we're under so many pressures and dealing with so many stakeholder expectations that we almost don't give ourselves the opportunity, not just us, but our teams as well, to really try something that hasn't been done before. Or like I said, create something completely from scratch. So is that what we should be getting out of exercises like Crazy Eights and Hack Days and things like that? It may not be a slightly less embarrassing version of a freestyle. It's a, definitely a safer version, although I would love to see Lily do Crazy Eights and freestyle at the same time. I think that would be an amazing look. Uh, okay. but, you know, but joking aside, I see a lot of product people like, I'm always feeling like, you know, you're holding yourself back and um, going back to one of your earlier questions, my role is to really try and unlock that and say it's safe for you to you and your team to try new things, take a problem and solve it in a way that hasn't been done before or that's maybe counterintuitive or that's not in line with the expectations of your say, uh, stakeholders. Awesome. Um, I don't know whether to try and freestyle again or not. I think I'm going to not. <laughs> But it wouldn't be freestyling because now I've remembered the thing and I've written it down. So that's no, it. let's hear it anyway. Come on. Come okay, on. Hey, all my listeners, I'm here. I'm all tucked in. I'm talking to Mr. Abraham, Mr. Abraham about his producting. We're having a nice cup of tea and we're talking about Jay-Z. <laughs> that's it from me. Good night, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, so much better than either of us would have come up with. So <laughs> I'm speechless. Seriously. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> oh my God, it's so mm. hard. It's Lily, so mic drop. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for doing this with us and for encouraging Lily to do that. It was the highlight of my day, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> probably weak even though it's just started it was amazing thank you Lee. no thank you so much for having me it was a ton of fun thank you okay i clearly should have followed my destiny as a hip-hop artist uh you know i think you made the right choice sticking with product and podcasting really but i mean i have skills that's like skills with a z like you know i'm so down with the kids i'm so glad you said z instead of zed but you know no okay everyone thanks for joining us i hope you enjoyed this episode and please like and subscribe
No, really, Randy. Hang on. Listen to this next one I've got, right? A hip, a hop, a hip to the hip. <laughs> The product experience is part of the Mind the Product Network. Our hosts are me, that's Lily Smith, and Randy Silva. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Emily is ours alone, but we're happy to share Luke if you need someone to edit your own podcast. Hey, you can't share him too much. He's my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg and plays bass in the band for letting us use the music. And sign up for your local Product Tank, a regular meetup in over 185 cities worldwide. There's probably one someone near you. And if there's not, you can start one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com slash product tank. Here's Global Coordinator Mark Abraham to tell you more about it. Product Tank is a global community of meetups in over 155 cities across the world, driven by and for product managers. Whether you have a group discussion or you're listening to speakers, the whole idea is to create a safe environment for product people to come together and to share their learnings and tips. 